Blog Talk Radio. harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human beings, human love, on a spiritual so vast, so great. The African embrace Live beyond Love beyond Your skin To where you belong Yeah. 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 Yeah.
But you know, I got to tell you, uh, one of the rare, real drawbacks in terms of a better society is this pernicious drive, you know, to undermine the humanity of people in the society. In that context, when we look at uh, Social Security in terms of the attack Social Security is under, then you get a very real sense in terms of just how much uh, people in positions of power hate poor people. And I think it's very, very important that people understand the reality in terms of the Social, Social Security Trust Fund and the attack that it's been under. So I thought I'd write this, this piece a little bit about uh, precisely what's been going on in hopes that people understand clearly you know, that these attacks in terms of um, the well-being of the citizens is not some accident. It's, it's, it's by design. It's people consciously making policies to ensure certain outcomes, and just in this context, for negative outcomes. But any, any of them, Brother Africa, check this out. Now, the level of hostility or vitriol directed at the poor is palpable. Policy directed toward the betterment of society through social economic policy has consistently been undermined by a political process of indifference fueled by right-wing politicians. Starting with the elimination of the child tax credit, a program which removed 3.7 million children from poverty by providing a monthly stipend of $300 has ended last December. And the rationale given is the policy lack requirement. This requirement, despite the fact that 6.3 million people officially are unemployed even prior to the passage of, of that program. Uh, <clears throat> now, unofficially, the reality is, brother, after the unemployment is closer to 20%. So this notion that people should have a job in terms of <clears throat> being able to provide themselves is a is somewhat of a misnomer. Because the bottom line is that, in the context of capitalism, they understand that full employment, employing everybody who wants a job, is simply impossible. Now, this subterfuge, subterfuge is really a ruse to blame the poor for an inefficient system, indicate as a result of massive inequality. In service to wealth. Inefficiency, a historical denomination of capitalism, has its roots in the origin of enlightened policy. In 1935, after intense debates, FDR signed the Social Security Act of 1935. This program will provide the necessary stimulus for the economy by, increase, by increasing social spending. The one drawback of the program was exclusion of agricultural and domestic workers from participation in the program. By default, this meant African people would not be African people would be disqualified from the benefits of this program. Now, it should be pointed out, <clears throat> Brother Africa, <clears throat> out of capitalism, po- capitalist politicians have less to do with economics and, and have more to do with humiliation. Exclusion of African people from Social Security meant a loss of millions of dollars in revenues for the country. The whole point was to stimulate the economy by increasing, not decreasing the spread of money flowing through the system. Excluding Africans disadvantaged the economy, but it also achieved continued subjugation and with that, continued humiliation fostered by abject poverty. Killer stated, the paradox of elevating economic policy that actually negates economic gains is never questioned. At some point, it has to be acknowledged what is couched in economic terms, real motivation is not an efficient economy, economic system, but the psychological drive is consciously or unconsciously to hurt and humiliate the poor. Now, however, the more ominous impact of exclusion was <clears throat> the strategy was consistently enacted to ensure conflict between Africans <clears throat> and whites would persist, making it easier for Southern white police to maintain domination. Unlike, uh, now, unlike strategies of the past, current strategies have embraced the disenfranchisement of poor whites as well. As the level of poverty in this community, the white community, increased, 
strategies involved to ensure the continuation of poverty in the white community. In recognition of this poverty, historically, the indigent or the very poor were, were allowed not to file taxes if their yearly salary fell below an established threshold, <clears throat> say a person making $8,000 a year. That threshold was eliminated in most states and replaced by a federal income bracket that taxed earnings regardless of low wages, inflation, or the number of dependents. Over 107 million people or 67% of working working force in the United States are now compelled to pay taxes on below poverty salaries in order to subsidize the well-off making over $147,000 and up yearly. Now, of course, paying taxes is certainly an obligation, but when a disproportionate amount of income goes to taxes, the overall economy becomes disadvantaged. Money spent throughout the economy creates the best stimulus effect ensuring the expansion of money. Taxes paid by the poor, poor often serve to subsidize the wealthy without any benefit to the real economy. And as a consequence of federal deficits, attacks on Social Security trust funds have been pernicious. Politicians like Rick Scott and Donald Trump would like nothing better than destroying Social Security to ensure funds are taken away from the unproductive or the lazy masses, as they call them, and given to, the, to wealthy people. Strategies utilized to destroy Social Security have been ingenious. Trump's strategy proposes payroll tax cuts permanently. By implementing payroll tax cuts, the systems could stop the trust fund of revenue. Because the Social Security Trust is funded by payroll taxes and the government created bonds from payroll taxes, requiring those making over $147,000 a year or more not to pay payroll taxes will greatly impact government's ability to raise revenues. This situation gets compounded if Congress authorized cuts to the mandated 6.2% of wages uh, toward payroll taxes be applied to all wages and, and no salary earners. The more devious strategy to destroy Social Security, which consists of old age, survival insurance, and disability insurance, is to undermine the system of funding Social Security. Historically, the Social Security Trust was funded by two income streams. One, special, special issues in which bonds created only for government purposes, <clears throat> namely to fund Social Security. Secondly, public issuance or securities, stocks and bonds, available for sale to the public. Now, public issuances of securities sold to the public were discontinued. Ironically, public issuance of stocks and bonds back in the U.S. government would be very tempting. If budgetary shortfalls of financing exist with, with Social Security Trust, why not re-implement securities sold to the public? The fact no solution to this alleged financial crisis confronting Social Security Trust has been postulated by politicians suggests the misinformation concerning Social Security Trust pending bankruptcy is useful propaganda that legitimize the destruction of Social Security. Now, the bottom line is, is, is strategies to fund Social Security is forever present. Using the IRS to form a budgetary deficit seems the most promising enforcing monetary distress on Social Security. In 2011, Congress passed sweeping budget cuts to the IRS. As a result, these cuts resulted in $18 billion yearly in lost revenue. This is according to ProPublica. These cuts to IRS resulted in 675,000 fewer audits in 2017, with the benefits being the wealthy. Capitalizing on this trend, Trump and the Republican Congress passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which overhauled the tax code. Under this plan, two results would manifest. One, corporate tax rate would decrease to 21%. Now, this nominal tax rate, which looks good on paper, conceded concealed a true actual tax or the effective tax rate after deductions was closer to a tax rate between 15 to 17% for 
for corporations. Secondly, many of the tax exemptions for individuals and families will end in 2025. Unlike the former, tax cuts for corporations are permanent unless they produce federal deficits greater than $2 trillion over a 10-year period. According to the Congressional Budget Audit, Congressional Budget Office, Trump's tax cuts have already contributed $1.5 trillion to the federal deficit. The plan is, again, the plan is to shift the tax burden from the wealthy to the poor. Now, corporation profits, investment incomes, estate taxes, and financial services all would benefit. As there is prosper, an inverse relationship takes hold. The greater the state-sanctioned profits, the greater the unemployment. Unemployment leads to less workers, which leads to less payroll taxes, and in keeping with right-wing false narrative, less taxes to foreign social security trust funds. See how neatly it all comes together? Systematic destruction of social security right before our eyes. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. And now we are going to Brother Anthony. Welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Anthony. Brother Africa, <clears throat> revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And you can find out more about our objective and program by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you, Brother Anthony. We next will go to Brother Moses, and we'd like to bring Brother Moses to Africa on the move. And welcome, Brother Moses. Brother Africa, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism in a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. And I hope to I understand that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-S. And the struggle continues to be to, to differentiate sham socialism from scientific socialism. In 1960s, um, the Chinese Communist Party put out a pamphlet on Crucial's phony communism and its historical lesson to the world's people. And um, it took to 91 before the Soviet Union actually collapsed. But we have to be political scientists. We have to discern what's really going on in society. And that's why I support the Cuban Revolution. And uh, I think, you know, the struggle is, is, is continues the path of the capitalist voters are within the party, and we have to recognize that and, and stay on the path of socialism. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. And this is going to move, which you're going to do right now. We're going to invite you to come back and join us by dialing in 323 
678-679-0841. We want you to let us know what's going on in your world and community. And we will take on that discussion when we return from our revolutionary culture break. This is Africa on the Move.
set the world on fire. Imperialism, capitalism, Zionism, neocolonialism, racism, all the forces that exploit and oppress humanity, they are the ones setting the world on fire. That's all right. We're in a good mood today. Because someone once told me that a good a good evening is one spent in good company. So right now I have good company. I have great company. We got four of the baddest brothers and sisters you ever want to meet. And they're going to kick some ballistic to you in just a few minutes. We invite you to join us during this segment on what's going on in your world and the community, and your community. And you can do that by calling 323-679-0841. Our theme today is As the World Turns, Let's Talk. We're going to give you a chance to talk about anything and everything you want. This is really going to be an open mic for the people, for the masses. You make all things possible. So let's continue our party by coming back to our political panelists and analysts and discuss a little bit about what's going on now we're in the community. We start off with you, Brother Africa. I mean, start off with you, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, Brother Africa, one of the things is that you know um, the, the state is in trouble when they impose, you know, unregulated propaganda. Uh, I say unregulated because there's some on some level, you know, propaganda exists, you know, across the spectrum, irrespective of the kind of system, political system you're talking about. And a certain amount of um, expectations in society in terms of how people should behave, uh, what they should learn, so forth, so on, it's going to it's going to exist in all societies. And so in that regard, we can anticipate some level of propaganda popping up in terms of directing that propaganda. But when that propaganda is specifically to mislead or to uh, misinform or to to ensure that people don't have access to information. And that means that state is in serious, serious trouble. And, of course, in the United States, uh, one of the things uh, they've been very, very uh, adamant about is there's just simply too much information out here, uh, too much print information actually engaging people, getting people to understand, you know, intimately, you know, how society works, how it operates, and those key players, you know, in that society. That's been happening recently. Uh, YouTube has been removing a lot of programming, but specifically programming relating to uh, RT News. Uh, and in particularly, uh, they removed on contract with Chris Hedges and the Kaiser Report with Max Kaiser. Now, interesting enough, Chris Hedges, who's been around for over, over 35 years in terms of being on point with this analysis in terms of, you know, in terms of, you know, government and his, his, his sharp analysis in terms of capitalism, and all of those things that tends to enlighten. Well, oddly enough, you know, they finally got around to getting rid of Chris Hedges from YouTube. Uh, Max Kaiser of the Max Kaiser Report is a consummate, um, uh, don't take this wrongly, but uh, he under, he's a consummate capitalist in the sense that he understands intimately how capitalism works. As, as, as one who worked many, many years, you know, on Wall Street, he understand person. I mean, he understand prominently. You know, uh, the mindset, uh, the kind of things, the kind of shenanigans that take place with respect to the financial system here in America. 
And as such, he made it his life you uh, work to make sure that people understand the inter uh, inter uh, uh, machinations, the interworkings of capitalism. Because if people don't understand the interworkings of capitalism, then they're in for a serious hurt. And so he made it a point in terms of making sure people understand those kind of intimacies. Now, with those kind of qualifications, of course, he became the mock man because you know he's disseminating information in which those people in the position of power simply do not want if that kind of information to be disseminated. Uh, one of the things that one of the biggest concerns in terms of the power structure is that they say that programming by RT uh, highlights issues like Black Lives Matter, you know, anti-fracking activists in Occupy Wall Street, and you stop and think about it. Well, those those you know uh, those concerns uh, when you talk about specifically when you talk about Black Lives Matter, the mere fact that you that people have the audacity to talk about you know systematic uh, police corruption and abuse of a community that somehow the people in position of power feel like that is problematic in terms of people knowing the truth. Ironically, most people already know that um, uh, police corruption, systematic abuse, is in fact uh, the order of the day. So it's not new for one to actually discuss, you know, what's going on with respect to Black Lives Matter and this relationship to police brutality in this country. But nonetheless, people in positions of power understand that if you don't talk about the, the Black Lives Matter, you don't talk about police brutality, then you, you increase the probability that people will simply forget. And that is the whole motivation in terms of, you know, why, you know, there's so much uh, 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 consternation as far as the, the right is concerned in terms of, you know, disseminating information which they find, which they find problematic. Uh, of course, anti-fracking activists, what can I say? I mean, we understand that we talk about global warming. We can't talk about global warming without talking about fracking in terms of the kind of methane and carbon gases that are released as a result of, of, of fracking. And uh, so clearly, you know, Brother Africa, so this is, this, is, this is life and death kinds of stuff. So this is information that's pertinent to people. But again, of course, because this kind of information gets in the way in terms of corporate profits, it has to be, it has to be destroyed. And so, they, so, so that's another rationale they, they use in terms of getting rid of, getting rid of progressive programming on RT. And, of course, we all know about Occupy Wall Street and in terms of their commitment in terms of getting people, you know, to, 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 to mobilize around this question in terms of, of uh, any of this kind of um, exploitation, this mass exploitation of the masses of people, you know, by a few, by a few. And so we understand the contributions they made to the struggles in terms of getting people to fundamentally understand, you know, this kind of exploitation by the few is not going anywhere, that it's coming upon people to stand in mass in terms of funding these, 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 uh, these injustices. But also, let me just conclude by saying this, Brother Africa. One of the things, you know, they, they, there was a discussion with the director of the National Intelligence Agency, and this guy was, I mean, he was apoplectic. I mean, he was really upset about the fact, you know, that he, his position was that RT is disseminating propaganda. Of course, as I alluded to before, you know, the, the things that they, uh, they perceive as propagandistic, propagandistic uh, in fact, most of us already understand and know full well the systematic abuses that take place in society. Uh, all these programs you can do is to simply talk about and to highlight these problems that exist in society and the need to have these problems addressed. Of course, this guy's position is that uh, these problems cannot be addressed because they're the heart and soul of capitalism. If, in fact, if we start systematically addressing you know, anti-fracking or the Black Lives Matter or Occupy Wall Street, then you inevitably what you do is you discredit capitalism. And what they don't want you to do is to discredit capitalism. And so, therefore, anything that discredit capitalism and get people to see capitalism for what it is must be eradicated or destroyed from the airwaves. 
Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, you know, so, so we've got to be very clear. So when we talk about this kind of propaganda taking place in society, we got to understand and from a historical perspective just how precarious the system is when they get to a point when they actively, when they actually, you know, uh, acknowledge, even though they know the truth, that they prefer people not know the truth, then that means that society itself is, is, is not only in disarray, but it's in decline. So we got to understand the nature of the beast and understand what that means to our lives in society. Uh, uh, because we don't have, because we don't have access to information, then we got to make, we got to make a special effort uh, upon ourselves to make sure that we seek information, you know, by increasing our, our, our level of reading um, <clears throat> in terms of understanding precisely what's going on and why it's taking place. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. And we're going to now move to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, talk to us. What's going on in your world and the community? Brother Anthony. Okay. Well, I'll start with by saying that there are other wars going on in the world other than the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which, uh, if people are totally dependent upon capitalist media sources, they, they might not be aware of that. For example, there is a war or several wars going on uh, let's see, one is uh, between Saudi Arabia and Yemen, and also there is the ongoing uh, war in the Congo uh, in the struggle for control of its resources, which has cost 10 million lives at least over, you know, the, uh, the nearly uh, 125 years that capitalists have controlled the Congo. And uh, this is not getting much attention. And it's really killing us, literally. And also, uh, there are various conflicts that are going on in the world. For example, between uh, uh, Indonesia and uh, uh, the... uh, uh, West Pap- Papua New Guinea, you know, for example. And uh, there are various other conflicts going on. And they come down to between, between the struggle between the haves and the have-nots. And uh, the battle is over land. And uh, contrary to popular belief, it's not so much skin color per se, but over control of land and resources. And that's some of what's going on in my world. Thank you, Brother Anthony. From Brother Anthony, we're going to Brother Moses, the man with the master plan. Talk to us, Moses. Well, thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, this has been a very, very interesting week. Um, um, Donald Trump has been digging in uh, in terms of his lies and his propaganda, uh, trying to persuade people to, to to turn to the right and um, and embrace his lies. Um, I think you know the 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 politics is a concentrated expression of economics because we live in a political economy, and so so. Um, the, the 
expressing one's political and ideological line is decisive in terms of whether we can build a revolutionary society or or a revisionist society. And so, you know, I'm um, I'm concerned that um, we get educated properly in terms of knowing what's what's going on in the world and why it's going on. And uh, you know, the Soviet Union before it fell was socialist in words, imperialist in deeds. And like you know, they they always talk socialism. It's always about liberation and freedom. But um, but um, they were combined with the the other superpower, the USA and the Soviet Union, continuing and colluding and continuing for spheres of influence, and that was what was going on. And so we have to see that we have to see what's going on today, and and know that um, you know Putin did not just pop out of the sky. Putin is a continuation of the historical and dialectical materialist political economy that's evolving in the so in the in the in Russia. And so I think, you know, we have to study, study, study and understand this situation and not just look at the uh, the news and the and the television and uh and I hope hope that they're gonna gonna discern what's really going on. But I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, as uh, it's been a very, very busy week, we see that uh, uh, the Republicans uh, and and people like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene are writing outrageous commentary. And these are supposedly our elected officials uh, calling people uh, pedophiles and and um, uh, uh, vampires and this sort of thing. So we see this buffoonery going on. And as Brother Moses said, Donald Trump continues to spread this kind of propaganda. But what we saw this week in Kenya, Kenya was that uh, the girls in Kenya celebrated their 20th year of combating FGM, female genital mutilation. And uh, we are seeing changes in the culture, the Maasai culture, and uh, the education of young women not being forced into childhood marriages and other things and having the opportunity to develop uh, themselves, uh, to educate themselves, and to... uh, uh, advance and these are, are hard earned victories that are influencing community members to take an alternative to the rituals uh, that uh, have been preserved in their culture and educating women and men alike about the power and the victory when you educate girls and, edu- and educated girls become educated women and become doctors and engineers and other things than uh, uh, what the tradition would have them doing and even advancing themselves agriculturally if they uh, continue in in, in that uh, 
traditional family practice. So I would like to uh, uh, just at least celebrate the women in, in Kenya and their 20, 20 years of uh, success and the fact that they were able to open a safe house in the southern Rift Valley in uh, Narok, Kenya, N-A-R-O-K, Kenya, and that Angus Barrio, P-A-R-E-Y-I-O, uh, uh, pushed for this initiative to uh, end um, this kind of uh, mutilation and to advance um, women in terms of educational goals um, beyond elementary school and, and further, and to end the practice of early childhood marriages. So that's a wonderful thing because, as we know, uh, the U.S. doesn't recognize the issues concerning women. But one in four women and or girls will experience a physical, sexual violence in their lifetime. And uh, that's one billion people on planet Earth today. So I think the issue of women's safety is at the forefront. And as Brother Maurice said, we should definitely take a look at the war in Yemen and the number of people that have died. The uh, U.S. drone strikes on Somalia and the continued violence in Israel against the Palestinian people. Um, that's what's going on in my world this week, and we continue to have to deal with these voter suppression laws in 39 states in the United States and the fact that even though in 2015 the Supreme Court addressed the issues, a human rights issue affecting uh, the community, that states like Florida and Texas are back, going back and prohibiting uh, certain uh, uh, rights, uh, restricting uh, educational uh, opportunities, including uh, uh, race theory. So we have a struggle that we need to deal with domestically, and we need to celebrate the victories we see internationally and bring to the attention of the world the struggles that the people in Yemen, uh, the Congo, and uh, uh, are facing. And the other thing, I want to recognize the fact that seven countries, uh, Africa, are prepared to produce the Moderna and, and Pfizer vaccine themselves if Moderna and Pfizer would simply release the proprietary knowledge, um, that would mean that Egypt, Kenya, South Africa, Ghana, Senegal, Nigeria, and Morocco have the facilities, have persons on the ground with the skill to produce their own vaccine that they have addressed the issue of vaccine hesitancy and wish to address it on their own. 
So uh, I would, and the World Health Organization has uh, proposed that this be done. Uh, Biden, President Biden has suggested that this be done more than a year ago. So we need to pressure both Moderna and Pfizer to release their proprietary information and allow these seven nations to produce the vaccine since they are able and willing to do so. Thank you very much, Brother Africa, for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. Good evening to our audience and fellow analysts. Thank you so much for your participation as well. Uh, thank you, Sister Eleanor. Before, go, before we go on our little mini break, what I would like to do right now, I'd just like to raise um, a a quote to you, and I'd like to get each one of y'all to respond. It's a very simple quote, but I think it speaks to the essence of um, what we're not doing. And that is... They say freedom is never freedom is never given. Give me each one your interpretation on what that means to you, Brother Haki. Freedom is never given. Yeah, well, I, I think you know uh, anything uh, that's going to um, anything that's going to make things better. Uh, anything that's going to equal the playing field, anything that's going to empower is not going to be given freely. Uh, to some extent, I think we have this kind of um, uh, human propensity, uh, you know, to to want to put others down. I think in that context, you know, one of the ways in which you express your dominance over others is by by simply keeping them down. And so, therefore, when you advocate for freedom, for people who position me as that philosophically I have to keep you down, then what they're saying is that uh, you're not going to, even though you have a desire you know, to be free, that's simply not going to happen because simply in terms of my psychological disposition, for it allow you to be free. So freedom is something that you, it's, some, it's, something, it's not given. You have something you have to fight for. And to the extent that you really believe that freedom is necessity, and you fight for it, uh, simply, you know, uh, advocate, advocating for it or requesting it or asking for it, it's not going to ensure you freedom. Nobody's going to give you freedom. It simply ain't going to happen that way. Uh, not until people are more evolved. At this point in history, people are not evolved to the point where they, they, they even acknowledge uh, the dual character in terms of, you know, the human psychology, namely, you know, good versus evil or good versus wrong or positive versus negative. So people engage in all kinds of negativity in, in their minds. That negativity is justifiable for many different reasons. And so when you talk about in terms of being free, and it doesn't gel with that kind of uh, that that kind of propensity in terms of you know uh, the negative that negativity, then the reality is that nobody's going to grant you freedom. So I think that people have to work for that. I think one of the hardest things for a lot of people to accept, they think that they can simply vote for freedom or they think that they can appeal to people uh, of good nature in terms of the pursuit of freedom, or they think if they just uh, set a good example in terms of, you know, being positive, that it's going to, that's going to uh, somehow uh, bring about freedom. I think people have to come, come some real, some real, some real 
um, with some hard, hard realities. And I think one of those realities is that, you know, as long as you got people who benefit from you not being free, then the reality is that uh, they're going to work in, in every capacity to make sure that you're not free. So the only only path toward freedom has to be you have to actually fight for that freedom. I think that's something that people have to fundamentally understand. I think a lot of times people have a difficult time understanding in terms of, you know, this fight for freedom. But it's very, very clear. South Africa didn't become, you know, uh, free simply by appealing to apartheid. South Africans had to fight literally in terms of being free. Uh, and that's, that's, there was a much sacrifice that had to be occurred in terms of being free. So the problem, I think, in Trilogian with Africans in America, we think that somehow we just appeal that we're going to be free, and we don't want to make the necessary sacrifices to be free. Until we make those necessary sacrifices to be free, then we continue to be, you know, to be uh, subjugated, uh, you know, in the society. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating armed struggle in America because I think, number one, we don't have the kind of organization in terms of armed struggle in America. I don't think that's going to happen. But I think in terms of pursuit of freedom, in terms of consolidated communities, in terms of working together, you know, to do for yourself and to build for yourself, we can, we can achieve that. In that context, we can achieve freedom. But it takes a, a mindset, it takes a, a, a understanding in terms of the historical and political realities that we're confronted with. Until our people understand the historical and political realities that we confront with, this kind of unity we need in terms of bringing about real freedom is very difficult to obtain because we simply think that people are going to simply give it to us simply because it's the right thing to do. Freedom has to be earned, and Malcolm X is absolutely correct. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, talk to me. When you hear this concept of freedom is never given, what that means to you? Freedom is a form of power. And uh, like any other form of power, it is something that you seize. No one gives it to you. you got to seize power. And freedom is a form of power. It's the ability to control your own life so you can live to your fullest human potential. No one's going to give that to you. It's something that has to be fought for. And Brother Moses, talk to me what that means to you. Well, freedom is, you know, something that we've been struggling for, especially as a member of the working class for years, um, starting with the Paris Commune back in the 1800s. Um, um they they seize power. They got they they seize power. But but the lesson we learned after they were overthrown and the counter revolution came back uh, is that we need a party, a, a Bolshevik party, a Leninist, a Leninist party, a party of of of, of revolution that uh, is capable of of carrying out revolution and. Uh, and, and not only carrying it out, but then defending it once it's once once you gain freedom, you have to defend it because nothing reactionary falls of its own accord. It has to be toppled, and it will try to come back. And uh, so that's why the, the, we call it the dictatorship of the proletariat because you have to keep repressing the bourgeoisie. We have to keep repressing them because they will be continuously trying to come back. And, and the Soviet Union, obviously, they triumphed. We came back and overthrew the government, and so um, you know the paper, what's the law, what's what's written in the Constitution, what's what's on paper makes a difference. And so as long as the, as long as we have um, 
democracy in words, it makes a difference uh, because because we can hold, we can try to make people adhere to the law um, because it's it's, a, it's like a ruling that's a verdict that's been been handed down that is correct and we must defend it. But um, so you know, in revolution, revolution takes an uprising of, of millions of people who decide that not only. Do, it takes two things. The crisis, the, cri- the critical part of the crisis is the ruling class can no longer rule the same way it ruled anymore, and the and the 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 working class will no longer be ruled the same way it was it was before. And so we have a critical juncture there, and somebody has to, has to overcome. Um, one side or the other has to overcome in terms of what's what's going to happen then. And so, you know, we're 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 struggling for the hearts and minds of the people. That's the thing, you know. Like um, Nixon had that right during the Vietnam War. He had that right. We were struggling for the hearts and minds of the people. Just that, just that he was, what he had in mind. His vision was not was not the vision of, of uh, Ho Chi Minh. And uh, but we were struggling for the hearts and minds of the people. And so, you know, we had to persuade people patient patiently. Patiently persuade people, patiently uh, instruct people, analyze with people, and discern with people, and uh, discuss with people the issues, and and present your view. And uh, you know, as Mao Zedong said, "Let a thousand flowers bloom, let a hundred schools of thought contend." You know, the truth, the truth will prevail, and that's why you know, that's why the highest form of political consciousness. As far as I'm concerned, on Earth today is Marxism, Leninism, Mao Zedong thought, because it, it takes dialectical and historical materialism as it developed. If you kept up with it as it developed, and I was fortunate enough to be alive while Mao was alive, and that's that's what was a blessing in and of itself. And so, I don't know. I I I won't ramble on. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, Illinois. What this quote means to you, freedom is never given. Well, Kwame Nture was uh, correct in his analysis that freedom is not given, it is taken. And it is something that we must struggle for daily. There's no resting point as uh Brother Robert said, we see what happened in the Soviet Union. We saw it in 1959 with Khrushchev, with the fall of the Soviet Union and uh, Russia and its conflict now. We see the struggle that the people have for freedom. And uh, it it is a struggle that we must undergo in this country and we can take our freedom as workers, as the masses, through education and organizing. And it's a massive struggle that requires patience of millions of people. And with the rise of fascism globally, as well as in this country with the election of Donald Trump, uh, the time is now, and we saw but, just this 
last week, Brother Africa, we saw the workers in New York um, take their freedom when they organized a, 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 a small bit of freedom when they successfully organized themselves in New York City at the Amazon plant in Long Island. So it's a massive struggle. Uh, it's a grassroots struggle, and it is our struggle. And it can be won. It can be taken. And Kwame and Toure laid out how and what things to look for in organizing the people and making sure that we understand our relationship with allies and what to expect when we're working together. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. This is Africa on a Move, what we're going to do right now. We're going to take a revolutionary break. And when we come back, we're going to make our transition to our theme tonight, which is, as the world turns, let's talk. Basically, inviting you, the listening audience, the masses, call in and talk to us. Let's talk. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed. We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. 
plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Brother in chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. News, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, To get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been. And made it through my journey, yeah. And made it through my journey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters. From Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place.
place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. Know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The second lesson we wish to speak of is the role of students. Students, of course, have a role in any society, capitalist society, social society, and their role is to institutionalize the values of the given society. Conscious, of course, in a capitalist system, this should be done unconsciously. But students are the spark of revolution. Of course, we make a difference here between revolution and reform. Those who want reform seek to work, I guess, from the top down. Those of us who understand fundamental changes know it must come from the bottom up. The students, of course, always work at the point of ideas in a society. Their job is to acquire knowledge, and of course, this knowledge which they acquired is geared by an ideology which tells them what to do with it. So if you're a doctor, instead of curing cancer, you should turn a man to a woman to get money even though she can't make babies. <laughs> that was life. Students, we say, at the point of ideas and the point of values. When one speaks of revolution, one speaks of overturning the values of a given society. If one is not speaking of overturning the values, then one speaks of reform. Thus, one can join the Democratic Party. We're not here to overturn its value. But certainly, if one is here for revolution, and one is here for people's liberation, one would know that a corrupt instrument can never lead a people to liberation at all. Students, then, we say, come to question the values of a society. Of course, in relationship to the values, students, just like anyone in any society, have but two alternatives. Either they accept the values or they reject the values. It's as simple as that. Of course, if they reject the values, they have a responsibility to find alternative values. But either you accept cheating as a student or you reject it. It's as simple as that. Either you accept any value in a society or you reject it. Students, once having rejected a society, bringing together their ideas and their energies and strength to work against these values connected with the masses always give us revolution. Thus, from the 60s, while a reform movement, we were able to see that students, joined with the masses of the people, came to bring a lot of changes to the country. Thus, we must not confuse ourselves. The job of students to clear here. Their job is to spark revolution. Students cannot carry revolution through to the end. 
The final triumph of revolution must be carried through to the end by the masses, the workers, and the peasants. But students play a crucial role. We say they spark revolution. Certainly, if we did not recognize this, the enemy did. The FBI, before the 60s, did not have informers on college campus. After the 60s, they put an informer on every college campus in the country. Their job was simple, stop any activity at all that runs against the status quo. We say it's a mobilized people who can allow this, because when you're mobilized and fight like an animal, after you get tired and you wind down, then the enemy comes back stronger than he did before. Students spark revolution, and we must work everywhere to have students live up to their responsibility of sparking revolution. Here, of course, it calls for the students properly understanding the role of knowledge. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Capitalism is a backward and stupid system. Capitalism is a contemptuous system. Capitalism is a system made on profit. It will make a commodity out of everything. It will take my mother and sell her on a slave block. It will make students acquire knowledge and make them sell their knowledge on the slave block to advance themselves rather than serving humanity. The struggle becomes especially crucial for African students. We say no individual African in this country makes any advance unless it is a result as mass struggle. Any student sitting in any seat in any college in America know that they didn't gain that seat through their own individual talents, but only through the struggles of the masses of their people. Thus, that seat belongs to the people. The knowledge they acquire there must be used for the people, otherwise they have already betrayed the people and have repeated errors. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa the Moon. We just listened to Lesson from the 60s, The Raw Students by Brother Kwame Toure. Right now, we're going to make our transition to our second half of our program. Our theme tonight is As the World Turns. Let's talk. This is an open mic night for the masses of the people and our panelists to talk about anything, everything that you want. And what we want to do is to involve you in our discussion, and you can do that by calling in at 323-679-0841. Remember, without information, you cannot think, and what organization can think clearly. We need the information from you so we can think more collectively as one and move as one. This is what Africa on the Move is all about. We want to make our contribution to help lead our people to their final destination well, it's total liberation, unification, as the home that belongs to us, Africa, and as African people. Let's unify. So, Brother Haki, as the world turns, there are so many things out there. Talk to us a little bit. Let's talk. Okay. What's the qu- You got a question, Brother Africa? No, I don't have a question, but I want to know what, what is that open topic tonight? Do you have anything on the agenda that you'd like to just openly share some things with the with the world? What's on your mind? Okay, well, first let me just let me just say, uh, the sister Eleanor on uh, Narok, Kenya. I was there some years back, and the Maasai people uh, gave me a welcome welcome home, welcome back to Africa party for me. Uh, as a matter of fact, the brother took about the brothers told me to wait here. I'll be back in a minute. The brother stepped away from the shop, and about ten minutes later, 
there was like over 200 people there to welcome me back to Africa. And they did a big ceremony and then big circle passing around the, the little cup where everybody sip it and pass it. So it was uh, it was real uh, real very very important to me in terms of that 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 ritual that took place, you know, in Iraq among the Maasai people. And I'll never forget that in terms of my welcome back to Africa. And I tell you, I really felt uh, great. You know, at that point, you know, I was seriously contemplating whether to come back to the U.S. to, to stay there in Iraq and live among the Maasai people. But uh, you're very beautiful people, and um, I never forget that. But Iraq is a very special place for me. Uh, the thing I want to talk about, Brother Africa, I think probably, you know, um, you know, one of the things is, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but I got to tell you, one of the things that, that got me somewhat perplexed is this question around, you know, you know, black conservatism. You know, uh, clearly, you know, um, there are degrees of black conservatism. I mean, I, I concur with black conservatives whose position is that African people need to do more for themselves in terms of standing up and doing for ourselves. Those conservatives I agree with. But those conservatives who call blunch take the position, uh, you know, that, uh, that the problems that we're confronted with are self-inflicted and that, in fact, this is the greatest system in the world and the problem doesn't rely with the system, but the problem relies in the minds or the attitudes of African people. Those kind of conservatives I have a very difficult time with. So despite uh, the, the, the prevalence of, you know, uh, you know all kinds of uh, um, uh, mistreatment uh, being uh, inflicted on African people in society. Such people are very, very good in terms of looking the other way. Uh, one, one, one person I got in mind is this guy out of South Carolina. This guy is the, the epitome of a slave. I mean, seriously, uh, Tim Scott. I mean, his notion that this whole question around post reform, and you and I understand the terms of this question in terms of post brutality. And it's not a new phenomenon. And we've been talking about this for, you know, for, for, for decades around, you know, police, you know, brutalizing and killing African people. And for him to, to pretend like somehow when you look at his policies to suggest that, in fact, police brutality doesn't exist or it's not a problem, to me, strikes me as somewhat disingenuous. And I'm always amazed that when you – I understand a certain amount of opportunism exists among black conservatives. I understand to make that money, you got to appease conservative white people. I understand. You, you, you sell out, you sell out, you tell them what they want to hear, you, you vote in line with what they want you to vote. You, take, you, you articulate a, a position, the same they will articulate a position, and in the process, you get money for that. I understand the opportunism. I understand that. But what I don't understand is that the repercussions are down the line when you continue to do that. Because one of the things you, they don't seem to understand is that you can divorce yourself from the masses of African people in society. So if the society deconstructs, get worse and worse in society, do you really think that being a state, uh, being a senator is going to somehow dis, dismiss or eradicate your blackness? Do you think that those right-wing forces that, that are coming for the, for the sole purpose of, of killing African people, do you think that, you're, you're, that, you're, that somehow being a, a senator is going to somehow uh, uh, disguise your blackness? So it seems to me that these positions that these people take, and they don't seem to understand that there's a much, a much broader history, a much, a much broader ramifications when you engage in this kind of opportunism, understanding that eventually you, you, you hurt your own cause. And I'm always amazed that they, 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 that the opportunism in them is so great that they refuse to see that when you, when you empower the system that is that that diametrically opposed to the existence of African people, you do do service to yourself as an African person. I'm often made. So I often want to say, well, well, to what extent does the self-hatred play a role in terms of these people's thinking, in terms of why they're committed to, 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 to embracing a system 
which is anti-them. Um, you know, so I think self-hatred has a lot to do with it. You know, as much as I would like to believe that, you know, well, maybe, you know, there is some tangible benefits in the system as it relates to African people. But the overwhelming number of African people in terms of social, you know, in terms of social economics, when you look at the condition of African people, and, and even if you account for education, the situation that, 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 that African people are confronted with is horrendous. And so that's despite the education. So if education is, in fact, is the key in terms of mobility in society, then disproportionately the more African people are graduating from universities than white people proportionately. So the question is then why did you still have this, this, this unemployment, this, this, this poverty, these, these poor wages uh, against people who played the game, who went to the universities, who got those degrees, who would pay off at the end of the day? So the mere fact that this payoff is not forthcoming seems to me, you know, that there's a system in place which says, you know, that I'm going to treat you differently, not based upon because you don't play the game because you lack because because of how much education you have, how much experience you have, how much intelligence you have, but the fact that your skin color is simply wrong, and so therefore I have a, a, a I have a I have a I have a, 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 a vested uh, interest in making sure that I maintain your oppression, and so it seems to me. It, it, it seems to me that these black conservatives, a lot of them don't seem to don't seem to get that. And I'm always amazed at the fact that I sat there and listened to them. And I'm like, my goodness, do these people realize, you know, at what point of history we are we are in? You know, earlier when I talked about the fact when I talked about the, decon- the system deconstructing, and and, and, and talking about the the, the 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 hardships imposed upon you know you know uh, working people in the society. Uh, one of the things is that, you know, in the context of capitalism, you know, because capitalism has no desire in terms of, you know, doing that which is right in the first place, increasingly you got more and more people who are, in fact, you know, who cannot contribute to the system. Now, for capitalism, of course, the question is, what do you do with all these people who cannot contribute to the system? You've got to find some creative means to destroy or get rid of those people who have, who cannot contribute to the system. And it seems to me, even though as a senator you're making a little money, clearly, uh, but the problem is that that's not guaranteed. You might be voted out uh, next next year by someone who is probably more far further to the right than you are, which means that at some point you have to also contend with the same uh, discriminatory practices that African people across the board have to deal with on a daily basis. So it seems to me it, it seems to me this fundamental this fundamental lack of understanding of the way the system operates, this fundamental refusal to acknowledge the social economic disparities that exist in society. Uh, the mere fact that these black conservatives can just dismiss all of that and pretend like everything is fine, everything is roses, I tell you, it's, I think it's very, very extraordinary. But it's, at the same token, it's very, very dangerous. But anyway, I just had to say that, Brother Africa, because uh, one of the things is that I really appreciate Joy Reid of MSNBC in terms of her, her analysis, in terms of this guy, Tim Scott, in terms of, you know, I mean, she came close to saying Uncle Tim. She couldn't say it on the air, but she came close to saying it in terms of her analysis. But very, very clearly, these kind of people are very, very dangerous for the aspirations of African people. And I, I have no bones about that. I think, one, you know, aside from just fighting a very ruthless system that's in place, we also got people, you know, in the African community who are helping on assisting that system in the destruction of African people. And I have no love for those kind of people. And I'm not going to say pretend because they're African. I'm supposed to love them because I don't. And I'll be very honest about that. And I have this nothing but disdain for these kind of people. You know, no matter how we discourse with it, but it comes across. I have disdain for people like that. I don't suppose I have that kind of disdain. I should be involved that politically, but the bottom line is that understanding the intrinsic harm they can do to African people, it rubs me the wrong way. I'm not like going to pretend like it doesn't rub me the wrong way, because it does, not close with that.
Brother High Keys was to love your people and turn the other cheek. You know that's a Christian way. Shame on you. Shame on you, son. Shame on you. But speaking of that, Brother High Key, I'd like to get all my panelists and analysts to weigh in on this phenomenon. You know, a lot of times we talk about, or you might hear people use the concept of neo-colonialism. And we talk about and give examples of African leadership or African leaders in Africa as being dominated by this phenomenon or in other countries. But a lot of times you fail to recognize how neo-colonialism looks inside the United States. And I would argue, and I'd like to have some feedback on, when we think about neocolonialism in the United States as relates to the African community, what forces and what segments of people will come to mind? For me, it seems very clear that most most of all of your politicians, people who have political offices, are in the capacity of acting as an agent for the interests of the state. They are the neocolonists within the territory within our community. Y'all response. Start with you first, Brother Anthony. Your response to that. I would I would add in addition to those, I would add the academics. Most uh, most of your African PhDs uh work for or support neocolonial forces or financed by neocolonial forces. As a matter of fact, when I transferred to Howard University, that's when I first became acquainted with the concept of neocolonialism when I was at Howard. Because most, uh, you know, even though uh, some are Africans, have to teach from a European mindset and they inculcate those values in the students that are there which is why the reason why students go to school often runs counter to the interests of the administration of the school. So, um, you know, I think, uh, so, uh, you know, neocolonialism is the dominant form that imperialism operates from, uh, from against us today. And so I think this is a critical issue. And uh, I would I would include not only politicians but also a lot of your academics, and that's because of the way they're financed. Okay, come and talk to me, Sister Eleanor. What's your take on this, Sister Eleanor? Would you uh, rephrase the question, please? A neo-colonialism and. When we talk about neocolonialism, Sister Eleanor, a lot of times we give examples and we get identified externally outside the U.S. border. But how does neocolonialism look inside the United, inside the U.S. border, particularly in the African community? I make the, um, well, I state that the reality of our situation is that in terms of neocolonialism, how it works inside our community, you will look at most of your politicians and your intellectuals, as well as many of your preachers. This is the same role that they play when we criticize other 
situations outside of the border of the U.S., and I'd like to have your take on that, your response. Well, uh, we see uh, domestically, as as was stated, many of our politicians, uh, many of our um, educators, and many people you see, um, uh, as uh, you said, uh, as Kwame Ture stated, that after the 60s, uh, they wanted to make sure every university had been infiltrated. And what you saw and what you see, Brother Africa, you'll see somebody who appears to be a revolutionary. But what they do is they make sure that they keep uh, the people uninformed and misinformed. So rather than letting you know what organizations are working and how to get in touch with them, they'll come up and tell you, oh, two years ago uh, there was an opportunity to do this and I did something. See, that is another form of the neo-colonialist mentality. It's one of isolation, one of tokenism, and we see uh, in our politicians just settling for uh, petty reforms, the issue of the police. In this republic, different states have different, different municipalities have different ways of handling the police. For example, if a police officer shoot someone, he has 48 hours before he's interviewed to discuss why that person's dead. So that's a, a form of neo-colonialism. Uh, uh, when you look at the uh, petty reforms, the fact that 39 states have passed voter suppression laws, the fact that the ERA has never passed and there's no bill sitting in Congress that's failed to pass. These are examples of neo-colonialism. And as uh, one of the analysts mentioned last week, that, uh, for example, what Congressional Black Caucus, instead of pushing for uh, permanent federal voters' rights legislation, they're ignoring those issues instead of focusing on the phenomena of housing being a human right and addressing it, they, they are ignoring those issues because of personal gain, because of uh, the opportunity for personal growth in terms of wealth. And we see this uh, throughout the nation. The thing that uh, uh, concerns me also is in terms of neocolonialism is the uh, reality that the former enslaved people in this United States since uh, their emancipation have suffered for their growth. Like you saw where uh, uh, Madam J. Walker in her earlier articles, she discovered through her research that the people being lynched were oftentimes prosperous business persons because of jealousy and envy and that kind of thing. 
and uh, he brought that to the attention of the masses. Um, the reality is with the suppression of uh, independent media, with the uh, limited uh, access uh, that the Afro has, the limited access that people have to the Afro or other like local papers, maybe the Informer in Washington, D.C., and just limited access to the information helps foster neocolonialism. And everyone has this idea in this country that they can make it too, that somehow they're having a job and being a, a, a successful worker makes them have something in common with the bosses like Bill Gates like the big companies like Lockheed Martin say uh, misinformation and uh, in, a, in a society like this is misinformation being distributed to the masses that is the tool that's most effective in keeping us oppressed and the lack of information that is keeping us oppressed and takes on the form of neo-colonialism. Some people actually believe if it gets bad enough, then people are going to change. But sometimes there are healthy reforms that the people need just to survive. But those reforms aren't the answer. Organization and education are the answer. Yeah, um, I'm I'm listening and learning. Um, um, I think you know, like um, you were talking about. Uh, um, oh, I'm sorry. When you think of neocolonialism, Moses, what does it look like inside of the United States from your perspective? What does it look like? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. What form does it take, particularly in the African community? Because in order to be you neo, right? Neo colonialism, neo you're talking about. Um, right. Um, uh, well, you know, ideologically, you know, um, neo colonialism can take many forms. Um, for instance, Walter Jacobs' book, uh, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa, um, you know, it, it implies. That basically there there is that 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 the development of Africa was in the was in the control of Europe more or less, um, um, and so I mean there's internal contradictions and then there's external factors and and um, so uh, internal contradictions are the reason for change. External factors are just conditions for change, and uh, and so I don't know. Neo-colonialism is a, is a is a is you know it's what is Bob Marley say? Free yourself from mental slavery. Only only we can free our minds. Um, 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 I I think you know that uh, as a people, we 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 are learning every day. Um, um, how, where, where our chains are and and where our chains aren't, and uh, 
who 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 was it said they could have freed more people if they knew they were slaves? I mean, I mean, first you have to understand, you have to understand, you have to understand the nature of oppression and what oppression, how oppression is taking place. And you know, if we talk about colonialism, then we're talking about some kind of oppression coming from an outside force. And uh, and uh, because the the, or the concept of colonialism came from you know you you started in 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 Europe and, and then you you went to a, 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 a another land which they call a colony ultimately because that's what you you send in a little group of people to, to start a little um, commerce going and uh, so that was a colony and so that's the nature of colonialism. Um, and so it always goes back to the the original the the all all the goods and services go back to the original um uh, uh colonizer um and so uh i know it's it's you know a concrete analysis of concrete conditions is the life and soul of marxism and and so i i i don't have any any ideological um, leanings other than there's, there's been correct verdicts, which I don't I don't reverse correct verdicts, and so there is no as Bob Mother said, ain't no rules, ain't ain't no you know ain't ain't, ain't no you can do it anyhow. Um, um, you can uh, ain't no rules, um, but but um, there is lessons that we've learned over the years, and we don't want to reverse correct verdicts, and so. But the neocolonialism is a complex. It's a complex uh, 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 issue, and uh, you know, right now I'm looking at, at uh, somebody sending around a, a little e, um, text message. It, it, it had a picture on it that said, um, "Instead of talking and worrying about this couple," and it had uh, Jada Pickett and, and uh, Will Smith picture together instead of we said instead of worrying and, and talking about this couple we should be more concerned about this couple and they had uh clarence thomas and his wife there and so i mean i mean that's the kind of world we're living in uh, uh we're talking about competing for the little 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 idiosyncrasies in people's minds and stuff um um any any uh, you know it's the psychological warfare is information warfare it's all that but uh but the truth is what's what we gotta hear here too, and that's the name of the game if we if we can't do it with the truth, then maybe it shouldn't be done and so uh uh and I think it's patience mm-hmm. it takes patience uh, um I'm a political scientist mm-hmm. uh, it takes patience uh to to explain what you've discovered in, in, in terms of uh, your studies and stuff. Everybody's, right, everybody's we're going to stop you right there, and let's see if we get Brother Hockey in, get his take on this. Brother Hockey, how you how would you explain neocolonialism inside the border of the U.S., particularly as it relates to the African community? I, I, think, uh, I think Sister Eleanor was heading in the right direction. I think the pursuit of dollars is the primary motivation behind uh, neocolonialism. 
In other words, this notion that your material things define you as a human being uh, certainly plays a big role in terms of neocolonialism. Because one of the things is that you know when, you, when you're constantly told that uh, money defines you as a human being, well, the more access you have to money, whether you're a politician or academic, the bottom line is that uh, you know um, in your mind, you know, uh, you know, that certainly is justification in terms of continuing to engage in whatever it is, because whatever you're engaging in is lucrative. You're making much money, and by rules of the game, you've made it. And so, therefore, I can see why they will participate in that kind of in, 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 in neocolonialism. Uh, unfortunately, but of course, you and I understand that in participating in neocolonialism, you, you undermine your own long-term interests, because inevitably, you know, as the system collapses, uh, you know, when, as the system looks for scapegoats, of course, you become a, a, a convenient scapegoat uh, for the powers that be, and that's certainly something we got to uh, be concerned about. But also, I think I want to add another third, a third element. Uh, Brother Anthony talked about adding academics and politicians uh, in terms of, you know, being the, the epitome of near colonialist, colonialist and, uh, in the U.S. I would add also actors, uh, and I think one of the things is that, you know, certainly uh, one of the things in terms of being an actor is that you want to be noticed. Uh, you, you know, you want the limelight. I mean, those things are important to you. And certain that's, that's understandable, uh, you know. But the problem is that the kind of roles um, in which you know um, the, the actors play sometimes creates a, a wrong, the wrong precedent. Uh, one of the things we got to understand that when you create these movies, these the movies are not just shown in America, but they're shown throughout the world. And in many instances, people's perception of African people is based upon some movie that they've seen, because they never met an African people in their in, in their life. And so it's based all upon what they see on the movie screen. So I think in that context, we got to be very, very concerned in terms of you know, this, this, this drive in terms of, you know, uh, uh, um, money and uh, attention. we got to be concerned very much in terms of how it ties into this neocolonialism in terms of, you know, the you know, production of, of movies. And I think that's very, very important. Also, I think one of the things when we, in, when we talk about actors, one of the things we talk about, you know, the kind of movies. Uh, recently, you know, I've been I've been checking out you know black cinema for a while here over the last couple of months, and uh, I'm just curious. But a lot of the black cinema movies, a lot of movies that are coming out, you know, about black directors and black writers, a lot of it is reminiscent of back in the '60s, uh, you know, uh, or you know, so-called black exploitation era. A lot of it is pretty much stereotypic in terms of in terms of its analysis. So what you have is African people acting stereotypically. And one of the things that I find extremely disconcerting is this whole notion in terms of the portrayal of African women in a lot of these black cinema movies. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, it's unbelievable that why would a black person even promote this kind of this kind of a stereotype as it relates to African women? Uh, but nonetheless, we understand that in doing so, oftentimes, uh, in terms of just receiving funding, uh, a lot of times these these, these investors won't produce, won't fund anything that's positive when it comes to portrayal of African people. But if you produce something that is negative, something that's stereotypic, then they're more likely to invest in, uh, in, uh, in those kind of movies simply because it serves their, serves their long-term interest in terms of their stereotypic views in terms of African people, in particular African women. So I think, so the question of neocolonialism is something that, you know, one of the things that is, is very difficult to overcome unless people come to the realization that A, money does not define who you are as a human being, and that, two, that you historically, that you understand the realities in terms of situations you're confronted with and understanding that given, given, given where we are historically right at this point, that we've got to understand that the system is in decline, and there's no question of getting around that. And so what does that mean 
for African people as the system declined. So we can address those two things in our mind. I think it was sort of sort of negate, or at least um, uh, at least um, uh, create the possibility, you know, that the temptation to participate in neocolonialism will be tempered somewhat. At least I'm hoping so. But I think neocolonialism is here to stay, brother Africa, and I think that's that's one of the problems in terms of black conservatives in terms of their value system. I think to a large extent. They're pretty much brought into the system, hooked out and thinking. So therefore, and so forth, therefore, in their mind, you know, uh, as long as there's money to be made, then everything is justifiable. Even that means uh, conveniently setting up your own people for destruction. So, and I'll close with that. Okay, thank you, brother Ike, brother Ashley. Athena and I, as we are turn, let's talk. Do you have anything you would like to share with the rest of the world? The mic is yours. Can you hear me, Brother Anthony? While we're waiting for Brother Anthony to get his um, mic together, we will make our transition. Sister Eleanor, talk to us, Sister Eleanor. What's, what's on your mind? What things you'd like to share with this audience today? Well, um, one thing, Brother Africa, I talked about the production of the vaccines. And I said there were seven countries, but I only mentioned six. So I'd like to repeat them again. Um, that was Egypt, Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal, and Morocco. <clears throat> I have solidarity with the presidents of these nations and their preparedness to produce the, their version of the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine, and since it was paid for by our tax dollars, and uh, both Moderna and Pfizer have been being urged by a world audience to put aside their profit-driven motives to allow us to save lives. Because we started out with the Alpha, we <clears throat> made it through the Delta, Omicron, and now we have a new variant, the BA2. What I see happening right now, Brother Africa, is an incredible amount of misinformation concerning the Ukraine. We see the advancement of NATO, and we see nations giving their equipment to the Ukraine, their anti-aircraft, anti-tank equipment to the Ukraine in exchange for the most advanced equipment from the U.S. This is uh, shows, uh, in some ways, the patience of the Russian people because I believe that the Russian Air Force could have leveled the Ukraine, but obviously that's not our interest, their interest, and we are not privy to what the interest was other than the independence of two regions of the Ukraine. That's what Russia set out to do initially. 
what I see happening right now is inflation. Inflation in the United States is outrageous. Inflation is not only a tax on the poor, but um, you see our um, Federal Reserve representative in uh, the Midwest, District 4, talking about the impact it's having on gas, this and that. But the the real reality is the impact is much higher. The inflation rate is much higher amongst the poor and working class. The cost of housing, the cost of energy, gas, electricity, um, telephone, the cost of food, the cost of things like daycare have gone up exponentially. But that's not really just on a national platform. So I see inflation as being a great crisis in the United States right now. Not only is the Russian economy suffering, but the U.S. economy is suffering. And I believe uh, the EU is suffering. So we need to reassess our use of fossil fuels, eliminate it at a more rapid pace, educate the public on the necessity of saving Mother Earth, the necessity of getting rid of carbon emissions, and the dismantling of NATO. The Soviet Union, as Brother Hakeem stated, collapsed in 1991. Why are we still funding NATO? It shows how the U.S. in itself is collapsing if there are people on the Hill that believe they are doing something right and correct in arming these former Soviet nations at this time, what is the purpose? And you see uh, Zelensky uh, on 60 Minutes tonight talking to the UN, talking to uh, world leaders about their failure. What is the Ukraine's responsibility and what is the purpose of expedite of, of pushing this war forward by arming these people at such a great extent? And so many Russian soldiers have died and they're young people, they're children. I personally believe that in the first fourteen days of the war, at least 12,000 or more Russian soldiers were killed with the weapons indirectly provided by the United States uh, anti-aircraft and anti-tank weaponry. So, Brother Africa, I just hope that we can um, get some type of national legislation that would uh, squash these voter suppression laws, some type of national legislation that would take the issue concerning people's sexuality out of the off of the platforms in these various states throughout the union, and let us focus on what's important: health care, the care of our youth and of our elderly, 
making the United States public recognize housing as the basic human right, as health care as the basic human right, and understanding why we do not sign certain petitions in the U.N. because we fail to recognize these very basic human rights. And I see uh, this as being extremely urgent. And in terms of uh, neocolonialism, neocolonialism has its ugly head all throughout our society. Will Smith, I understand, makes 42 to $82 million a year or something. He's a billionaire. Well, these billionaires don't necessarily represent the opinions of the masses, and we need we need to realize that sometimes the people at the top may not be those most informed. It may be some guy that's a GS9 uh, working at the health department. And so we need to recognize that knowledge can come from many people. Listen to the brilliant analysts you have on this show. Brother Haki, Brother Anthony, Brother Moses, Brother Maurice. These brothers are fantastic. They need a wide, you yourself, Brother Africa, a wider platform to educate the masses and uh, bring about real social change in the United States. Thank you, Sister Noah. Coming back to Anthony, see if you have any issues or ideas you'd like to share with the listening audience and the rest of the world. Brother Anthony, how are you there? Yes, Anne. I sorry I had to uh, step away for a moment. Um, I do have some ideas. One, um, one. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Ukraine government is dominated by neo-Nazis. Quiet as is kept inside the U.S. media. And uh, let's see, these uh, neo-Nazis have the support of the Zionist forces in Israel. Now, that may seem kind of strange, uh, you know, that, uh, that Israelis would be supporting neo-Nazis. But bear in mind that Zionism and Judaism are two entirely different things. And... Uh, you know, quiet as is kept, Zionists have colluded with Nazis in the past. As a matter of fact, uh, a friend of mine pointed out to me that of that uh, during uh, the 30s, the only country in the world that was trading with Nazi Germany was the Zionist settler state of Israel. So, uh, you know, so uh, Zionists have concluded uh, you know, colluded with neo-Nazis in the past and are uh, colluding with them today. And they share similar ideological beliefs, uh, one uh, being uh, white supremacy. So, uh, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, it's not surprising. But it's something we should be aware of because uh, that's part of the reason why we're not getting adequate information about the Russia-Ukraine conflict because of uh, Zionist control of the imperialist media 
and the Zionists are 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 colluding with the neo-Nazi forces in the Ukraine. So I just want to add that to the discourse that's been going on so far, that we have to include Zionism and its role in perpetuating uh, the confusion regarding and lack of information regarding the full nature of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. So to add to your point, Brother Abbey, when we talk about the role of Zionists, um, we knew they were very closely um, working with the apartheid system in the Zanian South Africa. And they had no love or interest for African people. You know, they shared guns to both factions to continue the wars, but even more important, how they have stole diamonds out of Africa and made billions out of it through the distribution process. But more importantly, I just thought it would be interesting how the African Union voted to allow them an observer seat at the uh, African Union uh, meetings. But historically, they have always been denied. Now, what role and purpose would you think they would have to have an interest to want to be in meetings of African nations? What good can come about with that kind of relationship? Well, actually, for the Zionist perspective, they're after African votes in the UN to, uh, you know, to isolate and persecute the Palestinians. And uh, now in terms of, uh, uh, let's see, um, let's see, in terms of African interests, um, Israel gets a lot of money uh, from the U.S. imperialists. It's about $38 billion a year, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so, uh, you know, there's some Africans for their own selfless interests that are looking for aid from uh, the Zionists. And uh, so that's their interest. But it runs counter to the interests of the masses of African people. And the masses of African people support the Palestinian struggle for genuine independence from settler colonialism and Zionism. Well, the Haki, you like to add anything to that discussion of relation between Zionism, African Union, and was not in the best interest of Africa to have that kind of relationship? Well, certainly it's not in Africa's interest to have that kind of relationship. But let's let's to, just to clarify to make sure people understand. That the reason why the Zionists was able to obtain um, that uh, that association with the African Union was the way the way the African Union is structured. Uh, there's one person who can single-handedly make the decision in terms of allowing Israel to have that uh, that status among the African Union. It wasn't the collective African Union membership that voted the Zionists in, you know, uh, to be part of the AU. That was one individual. I've got his name, but he's out of. Um, if memory serves correctly, he's out of um, he's out of um, uh, Nigeria. I believe he's out of Nigeria, and I can't recall his name. But in any event, um, 
it, it doesn't serve the interests of African people to have the Zionists, you know, you know, in proximity to anything pertaining to, you know, African affairs. Uh, clearly, the, Afri- the Zionist position has been very clear in terms of African people. It has always been antagonistic you know, toward the African, African people. In fact, one of the things that we had to begin to acknowledge is that when we start talking about Zionism, we have to understand that a lot of these people in the regime of Israel are not, are not in fact, imb- not people who embrace Judaism. These are people who are uh, atheists. These are people who don't believe in the creator. Uh, they believe in power. And in that context, they'll they vilify, crucify, uh, manipulate whoever they, they, they need to in order to maintain power. So the manipulation and um, the, 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 the utilization of African people for the purpose, uh, express purpose of benefits to, to Israel, uh, is, of course, it's something that they've been doing for a long, long time. My brother alluded to the fact we talk about the diamonds in terms of, you know, uh, the kind of, um, you know, the, uh, the informal uh, uh, um, selling of diamonds, you know, that are believing the, 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 the African continent, uh, making Zionists, making billions and billions of dollars why the African masses become more and more impoverished. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, um, you know, any relationship with Zionists is not going to set well in terms of the aspirations of African people. And as Brother alluded to, Brother Africa alluded to, you know, one of the things that when you talk about self-interest of African leadership, unfortunately, it's, it's very much a factor in terms of the kind of um, economic dislocation or demoralization of the African continent because you got so many of them brothers and brothers and sisters in positions of power uh, that they they don't have in terms in 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 moral center, so they go wherever the money is, and that's what they're all about. And so as long as they have that mindset, then you can anticipate the Zionists manipulating that mindset, you know, for uh, to serve your know, Zionist interest. You know, panelists, before going on a break, I would like to have a little chit chat. Um, with y'all tonight. I've been thinking for a while, and I'd like to just bounce this, this, this thought off of what you think. And my thought is, you know, I often joke about to myself that they tell me the uh, structure of this government is composed of the separation of three branches, it made of three branches, the legislature, the judiciary, and the executive. Well, I'd like to add a a fourth branch to that. And the four branches would be the legislative, the executive, the judiciary, and Hollywood. We see there's a very, very close relationship now. It has been probably for a long time between Hollywood and the government, between Hollywood and the Pentagon. Now, when we talk about propaganda and fighting walls and walls coming in all forms, you have economic walls, you have political walls, but one of the greater walls that's going on with the minds of people is the ideological wall. How you can uh, frame and create perception and misconception of realities and get people to buy into this. Now, I find it really interesting in Hollywood, there seems to be an a agreement with, with the state not to incriminate those, those actors who indulge in any kind of drugs, behavior, fornication behavior, you name it. 
as a trade-off for their role to create films, to create TV shows, to continue to mislead, confuse, and get the masses by people to buy no things that are not beneficial to them. For example, has anyone noticed if you look at television today, probably 90% of all the shows on is directly related to some kind of form of supporting the state, the police departments, and how they um, create movies and shows. You see, put them in a real, real light that may not be reality. That's 95% of the shows are dealing with, in some form or another, um, the institution of, of, of policing. You have court shows to make you think courts are your friend and they are in the best position to make decisions for you. Where at the same time, these same institutions intensify their oppression against people without money, people without capital. I'm not just going to say African people, but I'm talking about people in general. And all this has been done by the images and, the, and, and what it's coming out of Hollywood. Y'all just sponsored that scenario. Start with you, Sister Eleanor. Well, there certainly is a great deal of imagery uh, and and shows just on television alone, on the SWAT, on uh, uh, the Marines, on the uh, on the Navy police force, CSI Hawaii, you know, and that's one of the main themes of U.S. television and media has long been cops and detectives. Ergo, the U.S. has the largest, I believe, the largest prison population on earth, and we're one of the few nations that actually have an industrial prison complex. So definitely there is uh, the misinformation uh, that uh, the media is responsible for. Today I saw a singer who's pregnant, I don't, or a performer, and she had on, quote, a... Uh, vintage silk blouse. Well, here this woman is a millionaire. She has on a vintage silk blouse, but she forgot that there's a lining to the blouse, but she had no lining, and you could see her underwear. And these, this is something you're seeing on Sunday as a, a news on your iPhone, not mine, but someone else's. So definitely the media does promote the police, the police department, and it seems that the only resolution to addressing our social problems are the police, and we need to move away from that. And unfortunately, President Biden increased his defense budget as well as his domestic budget for the police. So in that way, we're moving in the wrong direction. 
and yet there is a problem with the media. Yeah, how do we got the people believing what is good is bad and what is bad is good? Talk to me, Brother Hackey. Yeah, uh, that's but 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 that's the function of um, <clears throat> of Hollywood going back to 1930s. It always been a uh, a sort of fifth wheel of sorts for the U.S. government. In other words, the relationship with the intelligence community, FBI, CIA, and so forth, in terms of creating messages that are that are uh, at least in their estimation amenable to the to the interests of society, has always been a, a mainstay of, of the programming. And so when you look at police and and and, 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 and intelligence and 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 uh, military, you look at you know these these noble these noble characters. Of course, that's the whole point is to present this notion that in fact that these are noble institutions. That is the point. So once people buy into that nonsense that it's noble institutions, then they once they buy into that narrative, then there is no other narratives that uh, uh, that would uh, pique, was, would pique their interest. They're, they're convinced that what they see on TV is real. Any other any other discussion around you know any kind of atrocities are simply you know uh, people making noise. Oh, but I think there's one other factor too, brother Africa, in terms of the media, in terms of the type of uh, programs it employs, uh, uh, type of programming it employs, and that is uh, the fun factor. Uh, one of the things when you look at you look at television, you look at all these programs. They're all it, it, you know just 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 20 years ago, these programs have never been on air. Conservatives would have been the first to lambast these kind of programs, proclaiming that they they make people they make people stupid. You got people like the Mass Singer, the you got it's a, a number of number of them you know on television. Uh, you got these programs where having discussions like the View and the Talk and all these programs, which doesn't go into detail in terms of you know subject matter. It gives a very superficial view in terms of what's really going on. But that is the point. The point is to make sure that the media gives doesn't educate people, but give people a superficial view, a distorted view in terms of reality. And unfortunately, it works among young people who sit there and look at that. And when you think about something like the Cardassian uh, show, and you talk about their social sensor, they use, move from one network to another network, making millions of dollars on people just viewing these people. You know, when you think about it in terms of the absurdity, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, the interest of, of people and people's willingness to be entertained by this mindless dribble, then, you, then it gives you an indication in terms of just how much trouble the society is in. And one of the things we got to be very, very clear on is that, you know, uh, you know, those kind of people who are mesmerized by all this, all this media bull, keep in mind, those people are the most difficult in terms of engage because they're convinced, you know, that uh, their perception is the only correct perception. And so, therefore, so when you try to have these discussions around alternative views or turn the way of seeing things, it becomes very, very problematic for a lot of these people, and that's precisely why the media does what it does. So, Brother Africa, no, no, nobody should be surprised that the media has always served as a, as, a, as, a, as a function of the government in terms of propagating you know, propaganda. Talk to me, Anthony. Well, uh, it was Malcolm X had pointed out many decades ago that the that the media or propaganda apparatus of the U.S. has the ability uh, to make you hate your friends and love your enemies. That is very powerful. 
you know the uh you know the the uh, you know the media to have the ability to make you hate your friends and love your enemies and uh and the thing about it though um uh to give an example of that there was a time when we loved the Soviet Union because they were an ally of the US and British in World War 2 and uh we hated uh the Japanese and um you know other Asians a few years later uh the script was flipped and we ended up uh you know the media taught us to hate the Soviet Union and love the Japanese so you know, so uh, you know, uh, you know, the the to be able to play those kind of mind games on you, uh, you know, uh, takes a, a powerful propaganda apparatus, which uh, the U.S. media is, and uh, it doesn't ha- it doesn't you don't have to be literate in for it to work. You just have to be able to absorb the information, and that how, that's how it works against you. And it operates twenty four seven. That's what makes it so effective. Brother Moses, what's your take on Hollywood and its role that it plays in this society? Well, I'm. I'm I'm a, first of all, I'm a political scientist. I, I believe in science. I believe, you know, if you're trying to go to the moon, you got to study rocket science. If you're trying to make revolution, you got to study revolutionaries. And, uh, um, you know, this, this, uh, uh, let me get back to the subject matter. <laughs> um, what are you saying there, the, the, I just like to know what do you think about the role of Hollywood and oh, Hollywood, how it yeah. seems to be That's a tool used for the interests of the government and against the people. Yeah. Well, you know, it, Chairman Mao said the literature and art should serve the revolution, should serve the people. And um, you know, in terms of Hollywood, they 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 serve their 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 people who are basically the, the rich ruling class. Uh, for the most part, I mean, every now and then you see something breaks through that's that's um, that's of interest. Uh, and uh, uh, but Hollywood, you know, just about making more money, getting as many people in, in as possible to to make as much money as possible. And uh, uh, there's no there's no uh, 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 I mean, the, the except for the ruling class, and you know, and staying. Don't step on the foot foot of the ruling class. I mean that's that's a that's a given. Uh, uh, but you know the you know people are complex, and so you know sooner or later even the generalities have to get down to specific people. And and when you get down to specific people, there are some courageous people who are who are making uh, films that are that are. That have inspired people to the high heights and deeper depths. I'm thinking right now, beautiful man, uh, beautiful man was with Robert Crow uh, playing the 
this is evident. He was a real life character. He was a, a schizophrenic who um, who won the Nobel Peace Prize, and I can't think of his name right now. But he, he's a, he's a matter of historical fact, you know. But um, I you know Hollywood Hollywood serves the interests of the ruling class ultimately, uh, uh, and. Uh, Mao said the art and literature should serve the revolution, should serve the people. And basically, uh, you know, some people think art is for art's sake and basically, you know, anything goes and, you know, as long as it sells and people buy it as art. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's, you know, there's there's no purpose, uh, no no directive. Uh, That's what I like about Camus Benjamin. Uh, His art serves the people. It serves the revolution. Um, Emory, when the Black Panther Party newspaper, he's, his art stirred the revolution. And, um, you know, Hollywood has to learn that lesson, I guess. Thank you. Thank you, Moses. And to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Moon. Africa on the Moon is under the banner of the African Awareness Association. You can listen to this program every Wednesday, every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. We invite you tonight to call in. It's open topic. If you have anything you'd like to discuss and share with our listening audience, please do so by dialing 323-679-0841. Our theme tonight is, as the world turns, let's talk. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for this call, take a revolutionary break, and when we come back, we are continuing the discussion. This is Brother Africa, and we are Africa on the move. Passport Rev. Malcolm on Twitter featuring Napoleon the Legend. Rock the Bell Radio. Theorists. What if mine had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration been disintegrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. We wasn't just a consumer. Controlling our narrative. We have more marriages. And see what the damage did. They ain't that bad a bitch. And welfare did it's way worse than the slavery. I'll never be an agent. I don't care what they pay me. Seem like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery. Supremacy will go the extent to keep their history alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive, alive. who be on the internet trying to divide? divide. Use a hotel hustler, uh. trying to fear people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree, and we ain't gotta tear our own down. Argue in silence, or forever be our own downfall. All I wanna say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale, and the devil is a fake. Argue in the silence, but don't let it seal our fate. Fight behind doors, but don't ever show our face. Cause if mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. Just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause if mom had Twitter, then Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. Just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you're looking for be right in front of you. 
Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said, what if we been lied to, most of our freaking lots Henry, you're coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you What if your faith did, I spoke to God on Wednesday He said, most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me A man lay dead in the street today I must have bumped my head And landed in 1940 or something, I swear And all I have is love and joy to give I need to spread my wings I need to fly away I want to get high today Who got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us Cosmic companionship sustained me after my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man lay dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away.
forces arrayed against us are, and I use the word most carefully, formidable. They are intense and powerful. They are, as I have taken some pains to explain, the forces of imperialism acting through their instruments, new colonialism and colonialism, ably assisted by the agents of the Cold War. They operate in worldwide combinations at all levels, political, economic, military, cultural, educational, social, and trade. <laughs> and not all, and through intelligence, cultural, and information services. They operate from European and African centers using agents who, I'm ashamed to say, are often on patriotic sons of Africa, buying personal satisfactions with the betrayal of their country's safety and integrity. They seduce leaders. They seduce leaders of the African political trade union and people's organization, thus creating rifts and quarrels within the National Front. On the broader front, they are amassing their forces in a determined effort to stay the advance of African liberation and the march of unity. It is not accidental that the countries of the European common market and those spearheading the Atlant North Atlantic Treaty Organization, the imperialist powers, who have brought in their vassals, Spain and Portugal. Portugal, in fact, since the wars of the Spanish succession, 1700 to 1714, being a protector of Britain, which has enjoyed special trading and unnecessary rights in both Portugal and in the Portuguese territories for over 200 years. It is not difficult to understand, therefore, why Britain has not raised her voice against the atrocities in Angola and other protected Portuguese territories and actually supported Portugal's preposterous claim at Goa in India was an integral part of the multipolitan country. The arms and troops that are pouring into Angola cannot be regarded in isolation from the international organization of imperialism and the Cold War militarism with which they are most definitely linked. It is absurd to think that Portugal, one of the poorest countries in Europe, <laughs> is a fact, could support so large an army, so well equipped, as that which he defended her colonial possession in Africa without the active aid he must be receiving from the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Nor can we look upon the way in which South Africa is busily building up an armed force equal to any held by the nations of Europe without sending the international implications that are obviously involved. She has, we hear, a secret military pact with Portugal. And the interlocking imperialist interests collected in the Congo and the Rhodesians 
Angola and Mozambique, which are also linked with the great mining and financial interests operating in South Africa, create a chain of allies which seriously threatens both the fight for extending African emancipation from colonialism and independence of the new African states. Now, that African independence has been achieved over a large part of the continent and the national consciousness of Africans from north to south, from east to west, is adding momentum to the struggle for independence. Every kind of means is being used by the colonialists to arrest its progress and defeat its objective. They are attempting many methods, some sinister, some beguiling, to wreck our efforts. They strike antipathetic postures. On one side, they perform acts calculated to strike fear. On the other, they try to do hoodwink us with fictitious gifts, which superficially pander to our hopes and aspirations. They are the present attempts to deflect our purpose, to weaken our determination. You would just listen to a speech by Oseki for Kwame Nkrumah, the first president of Ghana, as he spoke about forces against Africa. You know, panelists, there's an old saying that history is best to reward those who research. I say that because if you look at the parallel of what's going on today as as you deal with this whole notion of the West trying to recolonize Africa and what took place in 1884-85 on Europe and that same relationship between Europe and Africa. You see a lot of the same parallels that Africa, again, is uh, being a center point of trying to be dominated by outside forces. Now, again, we are African people find ourselves throughout the world in a very vulnerable position in terms of how do we defend ourselves. Um, given that reality today, panelists, we're going to talk a little bit about African Liberation Day and maybe what we can do as a conscious African, as a conscious African to make sure this doesn't happen again. Brother Anthony, you're organizer for the All African People Revolutionary Party GC. I understand coming up next month, every year, um, this organization does the African Liberation Day, and this year they'll be doing the African Liberation Day month. So I want to talk about first about the Institution of African Liberation Day, what is the purpose, the means, and why it's important to Africa and African people. Brother Anthony. Um, African Liberation Day has been commemorated worldwide for 64 years, Uh, this year being the 64th anniversary of that commemoration effort. And uh, the purpose was to assess and rededicate 
ourselves to liberating Africa and unifying Africa to secure that liberation under scientific socialism. And since 1958, uh, African Liberation Day has been commemorated throughout the world by reactionary and revolutionary forces. The All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, has been commemorating African Liberation Day for 46 of those 64 years. And in conjunction, we've also commemorated uh, Palestine Day, uh, which uh, uh, this year marks the 74th anniversary of uh, the illegal and immoral partition of Palestine by Zionist forces for their own selfish interests. So uh, this year, once again, we will be uh, commemorating African Liberation Day and Palestine Day, this time for an entire month, Uh, you know, to mark the onward progress and setbacks taking place in the African and Palestinian revolutions, uh, which are about uh, control of land. As a matter of fact, this struggle has always been about control of land. Some of us are confused and think it's about skin color, but it's always been about control of land. And uh, and uh, we have to unify Africa under a scientific socialist government in order to gain, gain, gain control of our only just land base, Africa. And as long as we're fragmented, we cannot uh, withstand the attacks by our enemies. Uh, Libya is a case in point, you know, and uh, when Libya was attacked by enemy forces, not one of those uh, other, the other 53 African countries rose up to defend uh, Libya. And uh, so uh, in order for us to survive, we must have a unified, liberated, and socialist Africa. And uh, we're planning a series of virtual activities to commemorate this occasion and to educate ourselves about the history of African Liberation Day and its contribution to the African revolutionary process to gain control of our land, uh, for the purpose of uh, our liberation and unification under scientific socialism. You know, Brother F, the African Liberation Day came out of the resistance of being, being very resistant against the oppression and rebellious. It also was a 
institution that came out of the understanding that this whole question of African freedom and liberation cannot be separated from one of the other nations. For example, one nation will never be able to get their liberation freedom unless all the African nations have their liberation freedom. And that is the African Liberation Day is also an institution for the call for Pan-Africanism. Can you talk about the significance of their objectives and how that relates to the suffering of African people globally? Certainly. Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And uh, as Kwame Nkrumah correctly pointed out, it must be the goal and objective of African revolutionaries worldwide because it is the only objective that can solve the problems that are confronting the masses of our people worldwide, which include, uh, you know, uh, the suffering we endure under capitalism and our other forms of exploitation and uh, our impoverishment, hunger, and uh, the oppression suffered by women. So uh, it is only Pan-Africanism that can bring about the solution to the problems of the masses of our struggling, working, and suffering people. It's also an institution of anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist. Why is that? Why is that? Because uh, as I stated earlier, Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. So by its nature, it is anti any form of human exploitation, including capitalism, imperialism, Zionism, racism, and uh, all other forms of exploitation of one human being by another. And people can find out more about our history and our objective by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. You know, Brother Haki, when we talk about African Liberation Day as an institution, um, we know that um, it's been around, as Brother Anthony alluded, many, many years. But as an institution, what is the value of African Liberation Day when it comes to um, having an impact on our youth today? And why should we support such an institution? I know in the past you have gone to many African Liberation Days, and what did you get from it, Brother Haki? Well, you know, you know, you know often, you know, we, we talk about, you know, a new a new day. And uh, the reality is that we cannot seriously talk about a new day without talking about a unified socialist Africa. Uh, one of the things, you know, when we talk about the ills inflicting humanity, we understand the role capitalism plays in facilitating all these ills, you know, with humanity. 
And certainly when we talk about infliction of eels, uh, Africa has received an abundance, you know, of, uh, of, uh, of policies, of, 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 of laws, ideas, which are specifically geared toward the underdevelopment or the, um, the uh, uh, um, subordination of the African continent. And so, therefore, if we're going to talk seriously about in terms of a new day for Africa, then certainly we have to understand that that cannot take place unless Africa understands, first and foremost, the problems that it's confronted with and uh, coming together to resolve those problems that it's confronted with. So we feel it's incumbent upon us, you know, as part of the diaspora in terms of making sure to make the case in terms of why unified Africa is so important, not just to Africa, but throughout the world. Uh, so in, in, so in doing that, uh, we bring about this better day that we like to see. And, and one of the things my brother have to talk about, you know, uh, all, you know, you know, within the world, all these evils, all these isms, you know, sexism, racism, um, Zionism, and all the other isms that uh, adversely impact humanity. So when we talk about uh, when we talk about a new Africa, we talk about the elimination of all those isms in terms of being possible to bring about that new day. And we're we're confident that we can actually create that new day. Um, also, I think that one of the things that when we talk about a future for, future for the young people, um, certainly in the context of capitalism, we can't seriously talk about a future for the young people. One of the, certainly one of the ways in order for, for capitalism to to exist, certainly in, in order for it to 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 pers- uh, persevere, one of the things it has to do it has to has to find some kind of way to eliminate the problems that it's confronted with. Uh, and one of the ways the, it, 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 it eliminates the problems that it's confronted with is the destruction of human life, and that takes the form in terms of wars uh, and uh, economic policies, which is geared toward you know uh, undermining of the economy, which leads to the destruction or the death of human beings. So clearly, we're talking about a new paradigm, and we think Africa offers the best opportunity in terms of that new paradigm. Uh, that's not to shortchange any other country out there, uh, you know, in terms of you know trying to bring about that new paradigm. But certainly, when we talk about the the, the massive amount of resources, or the uh, we talk about the history of Africa in terms of um, uh, in terms of uh, its, its contributions, you know, to humanity. Uh, those contributions cannot be underscored enough. And so, therefore, in understanding that, we understand the the, the pretext or the possibility in terms of better world lies in Africa, based upon the economic and also its material possession uh, on the continent. So for that reason, we encourage people, you know, to participate in African Liberation Day because it's, it's very, very key in terms of survival of not just the continent but human beings generally. So we, we think Africa is the way to go in terms of creating a new paradigm, and so we encourage people to come to to, to enjoy the festivities during African Liberation Month. You know, Sister Eleanor, when we talk about African Liberation Day, also we know we're also talking about the emancipation and liberation of the African women. Um, why would you support African Liberation Day if you have gone to one? Why did you go, and what did you get from it, Sister Eleanor? African Liberation Day has been a uh, fantastic event that was held at, uh, for many years at the Malcolm X Meridian Park. Uh, here in in D.C., and I'm sure it was held all over the country. The fascinating part about the holiday here was the educational form 
And uh, as we talked about this evening, we talked about art and how art played a role in education. Well, we we would there would be fantastic speakers. There would be artists from around the country. Buses coming from from cities around the country. People bringing their wares. Um, also, science uh, was there too, and that you saw products that were being produced or and or distributed by black people that were and served black people. Uh, It's an opportunity for the community to embrace itself. It meets the the objectives of what the Congressional Black Hems to do by uh, having speakers and and this sort of thing that uh, educate the people and uh, expand their knowledge of uh, domestic concerns as they uh, affected formerly enslaved people in this, the descendants of formerly enslaved people in this country, as well as the impact that uh, colonialism was having in Africa it's just a wonderful event, and in terms of women, uh, women, women right now, the whole phenomena of uh, women and being able to be represented and uh, acknowledged is uh, so important. And an event like that gave women an opportunity to stand firm not because of a bikini they were wearing, but instead because of the knowledge they bought with them, their families, and their community that they had helped organize and mobilize to bring to Washington, D.C. So it was an opportunity. It was a time of, it's a time of empowerment. And uh, it's a wonderful uh, celebration. It's a time of empowerment for women and children and all people, African people and the diaspora. It's a fantastic event. And I'd like to go back and say something about the arts. Brother Moses mentioned Kamal Benjamin's work. Well, he's a visual artist. And one thing that we touched on today was the impact the media and the entertainment industry has on our minds and our development. You know, it's good to reflect on the former Soviet Union and its development. It utilized the visual arts to bring together people from many diverse backgrounds and cultures, and it actually ended up being... uh, one of the major art movements of the 20th century. It was the futurists, the cubists, and uh, uh, the constructionists. And the Russian movement was the constructionist movement, and you can see by its name that it uh, it had a impact of organizing, of constructing 
uh, uh, art that would not only beautify the community aesthetically visual arts, but that would also uh, educate the people. And that was a, a phenomenal 20th century movement uh, from the early 20th century through about uh, 1917, 1918. So um, communication in the media is having a phenomenal role on our people, and it's uh, really has our people and women confused about uh, uh, what our young women, what our roles should be in society. Um, I listened to the lyrics of a song recently where the young woman called herself a chunky Barbie. Who would want to identify with Barbie? And Ken, I mean, Barbie uh, is a doll, and and she dressed and had a nice in a house and a car, but no one showed how Barbie arrived at at that place. Owen showed how education played a role and family played a role in Barbie's development. So we really, uh, right now, see the struggle of women and girls to overcome in their individual communities uh, chauvinism and sexism as well as classism. And uh, we see the media not focusing on uh on the 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 rich the one percent it is on the uh working class and glamorizes their lives and disenfranchises others in the same community and uh this is something that we need to see change and uh we see films right now that are coming out when they talk about the diaspora, they'll look at uh, Africa before, but very seldom do they look at us now. That Will Smith uh, film uh, about the Williams girls may uh, be a film that focused on uh, the black family and black girls and their development, but generally you don't see that kind of film being produced in uh, today's society. And uh, you see Blackish, where the woman is a doctor and, you know, her husband is uh, uh, in the marketing and the advertising industry, and they're very affluent and want for nothing. You don't see the impact of inflation in their, in their, in that sitcom. You See a very functional family where both parents live with uh, uh, their 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 children. It's the husband's parents who are divorced who live with this family. So, you know, uh, we we need to see uh, and know that the media is the right arm of the of the government. It may not be intentional, but it certainly is. And of being mainly the, not so much the government, but of business. Because government seems to work for business, not for the people. You saw shortly before the Ukrainian war and invasion, 
you saw that uh, Bill Gates got a new Defense Department contract. So he knocked Jeff Bezos out of place as the richest man in the world, and he became, once again, the richest man in the world. So it's interesting to note that all of these top 20 wealthiest people on earth are men. It's interesting to know that there are only about 700 people that are in this super, super elite class and another 20,000 that are in that sub-elite class where there are 370 million people in the United States. So we're following 20,700 people. They're, they're suggesting how we should live. They're setting up the prototype for how we, so the most important thing right now for women and children is education, conservation. Um, uh, those are the real criteria. Um, nutritional stability, environmental stability, because we see uh, the environment is just with the administration of the vaccine, for example, in Florida, at one point in the beginning of the pandemic, people were flying from around the world because anybody in Florida who could get there could be vaccinated. And we had an African-American community in Florida where the people were about 25 miles from the vaccine, but they had no cars and there was no public transportation to take them. So that community went unvaccinated for over a year. So we see we see this incredible inequity. So what we need to do, and I still think education right now, skills, developing skills work is a way of advancing uh, women and children. We've not had an opportunity to have education equity, to have salary equity to to black women that type of equity. There are some of us. There are uh, one or two examples of African-American women that are engaged in venture capital and business and that sort of thing. But that is the real exception. So uh, African Liberation Day uh, can provide a form for setting up goals and objectives for women and children to focus on over the next five years and the next 10 years and the next year. It should be uh, a a strategic planning uh, workshop that can be offered through African Liberation Day that sets short-term goals medium-range goals, and I would consider 10 years uh, long-range goals in terms of one's personal uh, development, both uh, intellectually, educationally, and uh, financially, as well as socially. And I think that uh, this is one form that can advance those objectives for people that are not only the, quote, middle class, 
but the working class and the poor in that it's a public event and it's without charge. Thank you, Norm. Moses, what has been your experiences of attending African Liberation Day? Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's an interesting question. I was just thinking about um, African Liberation Support Committee back in the 70s, um, and we were always there uh, back in those days. Uh, um, uh, we were, we were, this was early 70s, and uh, but we were there when uh, in 76 in when uh, the All African People's Revolutionary Party sponsored it and stuff. Uh, uh, I think the Eritrean students were particularly uh, active back in those days. Uh, I remember that. Uh, they were seeking liberation in Ethiopia. And then in the 80s, there was Northern Virginia against apartheid, uh, um, uh, support for Nelson Mandela and, and uh, against apartheid in the USA as well. And um uh, uh, I don't know. African Liberation Day has always been uh, a rallying point for information and, and rejuvenation and revival of of the struggle uh, to uh, to recognize that uh, that Mother Africa needs us and uh, you know Kwame Nkrumah and Secretary and Kwame Ture all have uh, been an inspiration to anybody who's listening uh, uh, and uh, I think African liberation should continue so thank you uh, thank you brother Moses and brother Anthony you know when coming to an African liberation day or observing an African liberation day one of the things we often hear about is the primacy of Africa. You know, for to be a Pan-Africanist, you know, you must make Africa primary. So in that regard, who is also our friends and allies that one may get to hear or see as Brother Moses alluded to under the banner of the AAPRPGC? Uh, you might get to hear uh, from uh, the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania. Uh, Azania uh, Azapo, Azanian People's Liberation Organization, and uh, Friends of the Congo, uh, PRPAG, uh, and uh, you know, other revolutionary Pan-Africanist organizations. Uh, and uh, from the diaspora, you might hear from uh, uh, the Papua New Guinea, uh, Venezuela, uh, Bolivia, uh, the indigenous people of this hemisphere, and uh let's see and uh uh of course uh uh hear about the Palestinian struggle which uh, you know which is uh the, uh they're uh, struggling against uh 
settler colonialism and Zionism. So, of course, you know, you would hear from them. And numerous other organizations that are working uh, for their liberation and uh, working to throw off all forms of human exploitation, such as capitalism, imperialism, Zionism, racism. I understand this year y'all going to have something around about to educate uh, African population and the rest of the world about the significant decisions that just came down with the assassination of Thomas and Corey. Um, there will be some information shared about what's going on in his case. Is that true? And how can you sure, find out more is, information on that? Yes, they can visit our website and read the uh, press release that was issued by the uh, prosecuting attorney in that case about, um, you know, the conviction of uh, Blaise Kampauer for uh, Thomas Sankara's murder. Now, uh, he was um, he was convicted in absentia because he is in exile in Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, in spite of the uh, ups and downs and a lot of back and forth, uh, the trial did take place, and uh, Blaise Kampaor uh, was uh, convicted of... Uh, Thomas Sankara's murder. And um, as I said, uh, people can visit uh, www.a-aprp-gc.org to find out more information. Um, I'd like to thank you, Anthony, and just to add to the point about this year, African Liberation Day under the APRPGC. We were informed that the thing will be unleashing an offensive for 64 years of African Liberation Day, intensifying the revolutionary struggle against capitalism and imperialism, Zionism and neocolonialism, and forward to Pan-Africanism, one unified socialist Africa. So that would be our thing. Like always, um, we will may not give you what you want, but we damn sure do our best to give you what you need. And given the fact that we have told you mark this particular African Liberation Month on your calendar coming up in May, we also want to mark this on your calendar as well. And we're going to bring in our brother, Brother Haki from the African Awareness Association. He has a very important event that's coming up in July where they can offer you an opportunity to go into Cuba. Yes, revolutionary Cuba. I would like to bring Brother Haki back in and ask him, Brother Haki, ask him why it's important to support and be in solidarity with Cuba. So, Brother Haki, the mic is yours. Well, I think support for Cuba is important, you know, mainly for, you know, well, actually a couple of reasons. Uh, one of the things is that in terms of, uh, you know, liberation movements throughout the southern region of Africa, Cuba has been instrumental in terms of assisting Africans in achieving liberation, and that we must never forget. 
But just as importantly is that when we talk about in terms of these kind of struggles, you know, African people face in America, uh, Cubans uh, or African Cubans of African descent uh, uh, had to deal with similar kinds of struggles in the Cuban in the Cuba in Cuba. And the mere fact that they've been able to overcome those struggles and to produce a society which is uh, probably the model for the world is very in, 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 uh, very very um, very very uh, um, and very very instructive. So I think it's important that we understand, you know, when we look at these contributions of, of, of Cuba, understanding that what they achieved is also possible to achieve here in North America. And so for that con- and for that reason, we encourage people, you know, to go firsthand and see Cuba, go, you know, go actually talk to people in terms of their views around issues, political issues. Uh, one of the things is that's very, 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 very important that people should note is that Cubans are free to express, you know, um, uh, interviews they may have, positive or otherwise, in terms of the Cuban Revolution, uh, unlike the U.S., where people are afraid to express what they really feel, in Cuba that is not the situation. So you can go around to places, to, to institutions like the Committee for the Defense of the Revolution, and talk to community leaders in terms of what what is their views in terms of the problems that are pertinent, you know, to, to, to humanity and to Cuban society specifically. And they are very, very free to actually articulate what it is that um, uh, that they see as quote unquote a problem. Uh, now, for, now, for more information, what we ask you to do uh, for this Black Education and Cultural Challenge to Cuba, and this trip, by the way, takes place July 23rd to July 31st, and it leaves out of Cancun, Mexico, uh, we ask you to give us a call at uh, area code 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at www.aaa-cubatools.com. Now, for an application, we ask you to email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. And for additional information, you can also contact us at African Awareness Association, P.O. Box 4433, Richmond, VA, 2322, Euro. We encourage people to go firsthand and see Cuba for themselves. And, uh, you know, and, and hopefully in visiting Cuba, you get an opportunity to learn quite a few things and to implement some of those things that you actually learned in Cuba. So we definitely urge you to go to Cuba and see for yourself firsthand. And, you know, many members and supporters from Africa on the Move is going with the African Awareness Association. So if you listen to us, our fans and supporters, we encourage you to come and join us. Uh, it will be a lifetime experience. So right now what we're going to do is take a, Robert said, "Cause a break, and when we come back, we will have the final thoughts for tonight." This is Africa on the Moon.
wearing chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, to last through my journey. When we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, 
did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that's right. Not yet, Uhuru and Palerino. Those were the two songs you just heard. They are songs for inspiration for liberation. But this is a liberation radio station. To our friends and supporters and those who are listening to this program, we ask you to please share this information, forward this information to your network, and join us on seven at Join us on Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. Remember, more information we cannot thank. So we won't give our people the information they need so they can move our people forward. Today's thing. Brought every change, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changed. We hope to have. We hope to have inspired you to high-level activity by taking in this information, taking in this information, and use it as a tool for liberation. Right now, we're going to be closing out this program by asking our panelists and analysts to have final thoughts for the night. We will bring in our Sister Eleanor. Your final thoughts, Sister Eleanor. Well, uh, Brother Africa um, and fellow panelists and listeners, uh, thank you so much for a really wonderful show. I was uh, brainstorming with myself and realized that uh, one new component, African Liberation Day, could include to be a, a children's festival, you know, giving the children an opportunity to make art, do paint, face painting, you know, little science projects, you know, making Play-Doh, things like that. Uh, that would be something really great. Um, I uh, want to thank you for uh, another wonderful program. And uh, to remind people that the suffering in Yemen is phenomenal. 600,000 people have died, women and children, elderly, disabled people, that right now as we speak, the people are without, many people are without food, 
and heating fuel in Afghanistan, the Zionists continue to act aggressively towards the Palestinian people uh, with Ramadan is going on right now. And uh, Easter, today is Palm Sunday, next week Easter, that the Palestinian people are suffering. And they're suffering in their own land. The Zionist apartheid has to stop. And one thing uh, the analyst said this evening that's so true, what Israel wants from the African Union is votes supporting its Zionist efforts in the U.N. So we need to make sure that People know this and that we fight against it. Uh, We need to stand in solidarity with uh, indigenous people and just keep our minds and hearts on the issue concerning the environment, what's happening in Brazil and other countries. Uh, in terms of deforestation, uh, we need to realize that we could ship oil from Africa into Spain and supply some of the EU's needs rather than leaning on Saudi Arabia and its violence aggression against the people of Yemen and that there are alternatives in this world and that people, revolutionary people, need to stand together, united, that we see people organizing in this United States. Unions uh, seem to be having a revival that we haven't seen for decades. And uh, we stand in solidarity, boycott Amazon. African people don't need to buy anything from Amazon. Amazon is not a union shop. It's not supporting the interests of the diaspora and other working class people in the United States. Thank you, so Sister Africa, I'd like to say thank you so much and uh, for everyone to have an a informed, wonderful, educational week. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Next, we'll go to Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for tonight. You know, Brother Africa, you know, uh, you know we try to... Uh, to uh, inform people in terms of just how precarious the system is. You know, recently, uh, Dutch Bank made a statement, and they're very much concerned about inflation in the United States. Uh, in fact, they're saying inflation is such a problem that they anticipate that the U.S., by, by next year, early next year, the U.S. would probably be uh, in a recession. Now, for people who are not clear on the recession, just generally, you know, it's, a recession is simply when the business cycle 
uh, is in decline. In other words, when production and employment decreases to the point where not only can the businesses not perform in terms of producing, making business, but the spending of households actually declines. And so in that context, when you, when you think about the fact that we talk about inflation rate of 8.3%, uh, when you talk about uh, uh, 20% of the population who's unemployed, uh, when you talk about the, the, the massive homelessness in society, then clearly these, these are indicators that, in fact, the, the, con- the country is, coming, is approaching a recession. Of course, one of the problems is that um, the Federal Reserve position is that there is no problem, that inflation will be, be taken care of, and, re- and recession will not be an issue. Well, obviously, you know, uh, you know, each person has investigated for him or herself in terms of the legitimacy of, of the claims of a recession early 2023. Well, my position is very, very clear that, you know, that I think that uh, given the current information, the leading indicators uh, in terms of employment, in terms of um, uh, business investments, and you, when you look at those statistics, and it seems to me very, very clear that uh, what's going on with respect to the economy is not, not, not very, very good. So in that context, we certainly can anticipate, you know, uh, a recession, uh, you know. So in any event, you know, it's important that people understand that what does this mean in terms of the longevity of people in society uh, when when the system goes into, you know, a recession? Uh, One of the things is going to be a tremendous amount of people who are immensely upset about the change that are taking place. What it means is that when when the economy deconstructs like that, people whose livelihoods are... made it possible for them to live a good life will find themselves in a position where they can no longer live the the good life, which means that the kind of anger that will manifest itself is going to be very, very clear. And the question is, what are they going to do with the anger that manifests itself? And so one of the ways of dealing with that anger is to to displace it, or in other words, go, you know, uh, uh, punish people who are not necessarily responsible for this situation, but nonetheless makes you feel better about yourself. In, in terms of your own predicament. So my biggest fear is that when we talk about right-wing violence in society and we talk about the FBI's inability to, to monitor white racist groups, uh, so when we talk about in, in conjunction with the decline in the economy, I'm very much concerned about the fact, you know, that this place, this place aggression against African people uh, may be very, very successful if we don't become more organized in terms of, you know, uh, our communities. Uh, one thing is very, very clear. The history is very, very clear in terms of disorganized people you know, going up against an organized force. There's no way conceivable to defend yourself if you're disorganized. So I say this, I certainly hope that people will take upon themselves to, 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 to research that question in terms of the potential recession in America and what does that mean for African people you know, in America. Having said that, Brother Africa, of course, as always, I encourage people to, to unravel the matrix. Uh, that is key. If we can unravel the matrix, then clearly... Uh, we're on we're on a, we're we're on a, we're on a, on, a, on a good path. Uh, we're on a, much, on a solid path in terms of being able to deconstruct and to make sense in terms of what's going on and to be able to respond to whatever it is that comes our way. And having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Tonight to you, Brother Hackey. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that in light of uh, all the problems we're facing, we must join, we must get better organized as a people. I would encourage all Africans to join an organization that is working for their people's liberation, 
and uh, one such organization is the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, www.a-aprp.gc.org. Thank you for having me tonight, and thank you to the fellow panelists and the, the listening audience for their time. Thank you, Brother Anthony, and good night to you as well. Thank you. You've been listening to Brother Africa on Africa on the Moon. The segment was titled As the World Turns, Let's Talk. We just would like to remind you that on every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, you can come and join us and become part of our extended family. And let the world know, let your friends know that let's go down the road of liberation. And to go down the road of liberation, that's the road that you'll find Africa on the moon. Come and join us. As Brother DeBoer once stated that the cost of liberty is less than the price of oppression. So once we organize, do this together, we'll get our liberty, we'll get our freedom, we'll get all the things we're entitled to. So until next time, just remember, Pan-Africanism is the key. It will set all Africans free. Support African Liberation Day 2022 by the All African People represented by GC in May. And join us in African Wellness Association as we take our tour to Cuba. To learn from Cuba, show our appreciation Cuba, Cuba know they are not by themselves. You know when Africa called Cuba answer. So we must answer the call for our brothers and sisters in Cuba. So until next time, as the world turns, we will strive to go forward ever, backwards and ever. This has been Africa on the move. Taking you back home to Africa. Mama Africa.
man Quite illegal You're in a Milan Dig out me go In a Milan Digging out me pearl In a Milan Dig out me diamond He a go fight, 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 fight Against the party Fight, 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 fight,
my one, one. Yes, he's my father. Yes, he's my son. I can talk to him because he understands everything I go through and everything I am. He's my support system. I can't live without him. The best thing since sliced bread is his kiss, his hug, his lips, his touch. And I just want the whole world to know about my black brother.
brother, brother There's far too many of you dying You know we've got to find a way To bring some loving here today Father, Father We don't need to escalate For only love can conquer You know we've got to find a way to bring some love and kiss here today. Take it light and take it fast. Don't punish me with brutality. Talk to me so you can see.
O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 